hey everybody, welcome back to Down in Alabama. I'm here with AL.com reporter Lita Gore. My name is Ike Morgan, and we bring you a quick news update every weekday. But on the weekend, we like to set a spell and get a topic or two that we can chew on and take a little further. Um, we don't plan to stay purely Alabama-focused in our conversation this week, but it applies here as well as it does anywhere else. The hottest political story this week, even pushing aside Bob Woodward's book about the Trump presidency, was the anonymous op-ed writer who appeared in the New York Times, saying that he or she was part of a covert ring of administration officials who were doing the heroic work of saving us all from President Trump's worst inclinations, while allowing the more successful and principled parts of his agenda to work. Well, a lot of folks have issues with the anonymous aspect. On one side, people take it to believe the Times just made it up. And on the other side, people are saying, man, if you want to make a difference, you got to speak up for real, call them out, and don't just kind of help them keep a dangerous situation moving forward. Now, Lita, you've been a political reporter and an editor, and you can speak to this. Why did the New York Times publish an anonymous piece this explosive? Well, it's a very interesting decision, and I read something, you know, sort of surrounding that decision. And my big question, and I think this is a lot of people's big question, is, in fact, Sarah Sanders mentioned this, I think, in one of her in one of her White House briefings, is they attributed the op-ed to a um, high place. They didn't use the word high place, but but an administration official, senior, meaning they someone senior. who's not just right, senior, right. Thank you, somebody who's not just sitting there answering the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and where where to me so much of this hinges is if it comes out that it's not a senior administration official or that's even up for doubt, they've really got major egg on their face. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your inclination is to think it's the New York Times. Surely they vetted their sources and, um, you know. This is absolutely somebody that's very important, but at the same time, I would have, I would hate to have had made that call. Let's just say that yeah. to be sitting in that room, I'd have to be looking eye to eye to somebody and say, "You're going to tell me every single thing, and you better have some proof to back it up." Because if you read the op-ed, while it makes claims, they're not claims like on this day this happened. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like we don't like what it we're doing, he's doing, and so we're working behind the scenes to undermine him. Uh-huh. And so it's just a very – I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. It's not my call to make that decision. I think I would have had to have had more information, and I hope they did have more information before making that call. Yeah. Surely, surely this is well – Surely, really yeah. Well now, but there is an issue with what you talked about, the senior official. I mean, that phrase is batted around so much when people cover in Washington. Sure. There are so many senior officials that go – apparently that go off the record. Uh, very few low-level officials are quoted in these stories. You know what I mean? Right, so, right. There's, yeah, they don't what? say this is the guy who answers the mail at the White House who told me this, who probably knows more than the senior official if you want to be – you know. <laughs> very blunt about things but yeah it, it's yeah. a very nebulous term yeah I'm, I'm not really and i'm not really sure what that what that might mean i mean a lot of a lot of people you right. know the, the 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 favorite thing here was to uh and when i say here i mean in alabama uh since we have a, a uh, the attorney general's from here and has been going back and forth. You know, people are, hey, was it Jeff Sessions? Did he finally, did he finally get him? And that's it didn't sound like very Jeff unlikely. Me, yeah. When I read it, it uh-huh. did not sound like Jeff Sessions. Now, what's interesting is, um, 
could it have been a quote unquote i mean like you said there's 8 million senior administration officials mm-hmm. I don't think it's a department chair, you know, I mean, an agency chief that's confirmed. and got, I, I just would be very surprised if that was the case. Because if that was the case, it, it almost makes them look worse for not standing up. But is it your second level, your, you know, your vice vice administrator type position that's, that's writing these things? But, it, but at the same time, you know, those questions of, well, if you think he's so bad, and you're 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 bordering on saying he's, you know, bat crazy, and and y'all are not doing anything, and and you're just sitting there and writing an op-ed about it, it, it just doesn't. There's part of me that questions the motivations, and I think that's what a lot of people do when they see the media now is they question the motivation behind it. You know, here we have this book that comes out, and then we have this op-ed, and the timing. If anything, to me, though, the timing lends a little bit of truth to it, or a little bit more truth, I should say, because if it came out a week before the midterms, mm-hmm. I would question the timing a little more. This is kind of a, you know, not a dead period, but it's not quite as active a period as far as when they released this. So I don't know. You know, I read something, because I forget how many administration officials have denied it. Of course, they're all going to deny it. Right. And, but how many times Deep Throat denied being Deep Throat when it, he actually was, you know, and he denied <laughs> it for years and years. So we will find out who it is. And uh, if it turns out it's the secretary, then the Times is going to have some explanation. And they should. They, they should say, this is what backed this up and why we went. It's interesting, though, they couched it as an op-ed. So they're saying this is a voice, this is not our voice. So they did leave themselves a little bit of a loophole there. Right. They didn't write a story you know, as opposed that to quoted a story. this person. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that, and there's a difference. That's now, the, most of the public does not, you know, they're, I mean, nor should they. They're, they're probably not super concerned on the difference between an op-ed and a story. But it's a, for someone closer, it's a huge difference. They basically ran a long letter to the editors, what they ran. Yeah. And we all know that can be, you know. Yeah, you we get run, what you get sometimes. People run some crazy stuff because that's a voice that's out there, and here you right. go, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. But they, was, by, mm-hmm. by proxy, they gave it credibility because of their name. And that's, that's, a, uh, that's a situation newspapers and, and media has had for years. You, you're giving someone credibility, and you have to decide if it's worth that or not. Right, right. You, you kind of have to understand – you kind of need to know their motive. So, I mean, if we help these yeah. people out and then, and, and this is completely separate, this is, okay, this person wants to write on this issue. And then we find out later it was the clan. I mean, you know, what right. are, what are the motives? Right. We need to know yeah. the motives ahead of time. And I, the motives is really right. what I was concerned. About. I, I totally believe the New York times is going to, vet this person they are going to know who it is sure. they've spent yeah, time with this person so, yeah. i believe this person they were pretty sure that it, it's mostly accurate as a matter of fact and i think there's yeah. probably a lot of truth in it at the same time the person's painting themselves as this conservative fighting the principled fight on the inside and i kind of question a lot of that because yeah. and the timing yeah. is part of that it's it, no it's not a week before the midterms but it's before the midterms period I mean, if you're going to if you're going to primary Trump, you're going to begin in November. I mean, if if the Republicans want to mount some opposition of their own and say, let's let's go a little safer route. Uh, And also, it's during Kavanaugh week and it's a day after the Bob Woodward. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. And if you're 
if you really are trying to to help the 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 positives of uh, Trump's conservative successes, then why do you grease up the road? You know, you're 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 yeah. you're, you're claiming that that you're wanting to keep it on the rails, but this person's job did not just get easier a, a day after this, well, uh, no. this thing was posted. I guess no. That's... And you know what's interesting is the op-ed even gives Trump some credit on some things. And it, it criticizes him in a way that, that I have criticized the president, which is he's doing some good policies, look at our economy, we've got, you know, he, he, they talk, the author talks about that, but he keeps letting these sort of personality quirks of his get in the way, which is a valid complaint. There's not one thing about that that's not valid. It's the anonymous nature, you know, if you're going to believe that, because for a reporter, anonymous sources are such a, touchy subject and you know i would never want to have somebody come back to me and say your anonymous source wasn't valid or it wasn't you know i have to have not just 100 percent confidence in an anonymous source i have to have 150 percent confidence right and and so i hope you know i mean obviously they're a bastion of journalism and I, i'm not calling that into question but i am saying it's a risky move to do that that's yeah that's a good way to put it that's a good way to put it yeah what are some of your experiences with the uh, with uh, unnamed sources? I mean, it. <laughs> well, I, I've i thought about that a lot this week because early, I mean, I was a fresh out of college reporter, you know, writing obituaries, and I had somebody tell me something one time, and did, and it wasn't anything major. It was a local election, you know, but it, the guy ended up losing, and and I realized later that the person who gave me the information was his opponent's next door neighbor. That was just a young reporter mm. on a super microcosm scale, not knowing better, you know. Right. But interestingly enough, uh, uh, and I'll uh, pull back the curtain a little here because there's been enough time where I think I'm comfortable for doing this. <laughs> when we were, um, yeah, Be shortly sure. after Governor, <laughs> yeah, I'm positive, I'm okay. Sure, I will not reveal too much. But shortly after Governor Bentley's wife filed for divorce. Of course, the rumors were, I mean, your wife of 50 years leaves you, rumors are going to, you know, spread. But um, talked to some people, including one who, had, who I personally had known 20-plus years, who um, had been in Montgomery 20-plus years, who detailed for me um, the governor's relationship with Rebecca Mason. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a long time before this became... I don't want to say it wasn't public because so many people did know, but nobody had, like, concrete. Mm -hmm. So this person wanted to report it but be anonymous. And while every fiber of my being wanted to go with that story because it's a heck of a story, Mm -hmm. something held me back, and it was a smart editor named K.A. Turner who who held me back, (laughs) who just kept saying – we need more. We need more. We need more. And she was right. She made the right call. Yeah. Because when you dug a little deeper into that story, while he, while he did know a lot, there wasn't that, here is my proof. You know, it was, well, I heard this. And while it was valid, it, it wasn't that, it did not meet or exceed the expectations for an unnamed source. Right. So we didn't go with it. Now, what's interesting about that, and he reminds me of this occasionally when I talk to him, he was 100% correct. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want people thinking we spiked the story. It never got to that point. 
it just um, we had to have more in, in concrete evidence. Now, on the flip side of that unnamed source thing, um, shortly after all this happened, I received a comment from someone about um, Governor Bentley's wife not wanting to attend his own inauguration and how she had to be talked into it. And so it, it pointed to an obvious discord that dated back before anybody knew it. Mm-hmm. Now, in this case, I did not, that was not my source. You know, that was just a tip. Then I went to someone else I knew who was an anonymous source who did not seek me out and frankly wasn't thrilled to be talking to me <laughs> at that time. But I, I, again, it was somebody I knew a long period of time and just said, in what a way I think sometimes reporters have to say, look, I've been told this and I don't want to report something inaccurate. If I'm right, tell me. If I'm wrong, tell me. And this was a person as close to that situation you could be if your last name was not Bentley. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew they knew, and they confirmed it. Mm-hmm. And in that case, we went with it, and that met the, the proximity of that person, the experience of that person. It lent credibility where I was 100% comfortable and turned out to be completely correct, you right. know, when, when we got more details. So it's, a, it's always a judgment call. And I've thought about that Rebecca Bentley, oh, golly, Rebecca Mason, Robert Bentley. <laughs> Have you been talking to another a, unnamed source about that something? That was not a prediction. <laughs> yes, not a prediction. It was a Freudian slip. When we talked about that story, it really would have only taken, you know, one person who had, a, who had more than just incidental knowledge. You know, um, if there was any sort of... And what turned out to be the, the cell phone records, you know, that's what turned out, what broke it all open was Mrs. Bentley's cell phone mm-hmm. screenshots of her husband's conversations and the video, I mean, the audio. If we'd had even one of those, it would have been enough. So, yeah. you know, as much as I hate not scooping everybody on that story in, a year before, mm-hmm. it wasn't for lack of effort. And it, it was because we were being judicious with what we did, which was the right call. Yeah, especially so, something explosive like that. And that's the thing. When it's something exactly. that is going to affect people so much. Uh, I mean, the, the what you said, the one that you went with, the source that you went with was also a good source. And But the that wasn't quite the whole story. I mean, her questioning whether she's going to go. I mean, you could you could let people read between the lines and you could let a little out. Right. But you didn't say, hey. It shed light on their relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, and I thought what was so fascinating, and that story is always very interesting to me, the dynamics that it took, because the person really explained up, up until the last minute they didn't know if she'd walk in the door. And mm-hmm. like the rest of Alabama, I saw the pictures from that event, and they're holding hands, and she's smiling and waving, and they're on the state, you know, the platform together. And now to look back and think, wow, you know, she almost didn't walk in the door, and his family didn't almost come which would have been a real sign of things to come. But again, you had to consider the job of that source, how connected they were. You know, not that the other source wasn't credible, but it was just a different type of source. Are you in a position to know this irrefutably? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the question I think the Times has got, is are, is your author in the position to know this without a doubt? Mm-hmm. And. You know, there's very while there are a ton of quote unquote senior administration officials, I, I'm gonna, 
you know, I don't know, maybe 50 that would be in a position to know that irrefutably. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm will, I'm, uh, and I'm speculating here on their part. Maybe that explains why it was an op-ed instead of a story. Was that they're really, really sure of who this person is, and and that they're yeah. in a position for this to be true. But maybe they were yeah. so nervous about whether line by line it's all true. Maybe this person's blowing smoke. I mean, because you know, a lot of people who leak stuff, it's an ego thing. You know, they they're making points yeah. with a reporter, or they're uh, just want to see themselves make the paper, even if it's not in name. I mean, you know. Or they want to make the paper look silly. And that happens. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, yeah. I've had people I've had people do that before. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tell you something they know is not true because they want you. They A lot of times that will be in like a political campaign. They want you to raise the question with somebody else and you look like an idiot. You know, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. And I don't think that was the case here. But there's a lot of reasons people come forward with information. And during the Bentley thing, I have jokingly said if I printed every rumor that I was told about Robert Bentley in the two years frame that we were dealing with him, mm-hmm. it would fill a book. Right. I mean, <laughs> it involved paternity tests and drugstore visits and you name it. I mean, you name it. <laughs> and those people were not in a position to know other than... You know, yeah, I've, it gets to a point where there's uh-huh. glory in being a source, you know. You want to yeah. be the yeah. people, they start coming out of the, the woods then. Now, in both the cases I refer to, I reached out to those people. They did not reach out to me. and But the second, you know, um, and it, it was at, at that time, it was a basic cattle call. We were all talking to anybody we could. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, that was a, a different situation. But we look back at like the Roy Moore situation with the Washington Post. You know, I think it was very obvious that with the allegations against Roy Moore, that with Lee Korfman's, you could not have gone with an anonymous source. I think that would have been a disaster. Uh, You had to have someone willing as hard as that was for her, and I can imagine whether you believe her or don't believe her, you know, the woman (laughs) obviously set herself up for as a huge target. And you had to have a name tied to that. We got the same anonymous sources during that that not Lee Corfman, but people started coming out of the woodwork. But a lot of it is while well, I heard this happened at the mall. In those kind of rumors, you you know, it's like nailing jello to the wall. Right. You it's very hard to prove those things. Mm-hmm. Um especially after and you, that's the other interesting thing about the Times op ed is a lot of time these anonymous sources, even with the Bentley thing, we were dealing with a couple of years old. Or things that happen, I mean, the way the New York Times op-ed is written is this is like now. You know, it's written in the in the yeah. present day a lot more Watergate-ish mm-hmm. than, but you know, golly, I'd love to know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a reader. I'm curious, too. And, and I've read the list of people who said, no, it's not me. And I, I will say when I read it, now I'm not saying it couldn't be someone on his staff, because, frankly, if I had to sit there and listen to my boss be called an idiot, and I liked my boss, I'd probably get mad, too. Mm-hmm. It did not read to me like Jeff Sessions sat down and wrote this, nor do I think he oh, did. No, I, it no, just doesn't no. sound like his verbiage. Yeah. To me, it sounds like a younger, and that may just be my projections on it, you know, not a, a Department of Defense secretary, but, you know, James Mattis is not somebody like that because mm-hmm. um, he would cuss more. But, you know, <laughs> and he would probably just look at Trump and say, yeah, go do what? 
But what concerns me, obviously, then, or if the, the offer is revealed and it's not to the level of senior administration official that we think it should be, there's another black eye for journalism that we're all going to have to live with. Absolutely. You know? this is, yeah, and that's um, something else we have to consider when we're doing these kinds of stories and we're using these kinds of sources is the the atmosphere that we're in right now, that people do sure. not believe uh, one side or the other. They think certain media is on their side and certain media is on the other side. And, uh, you know, perception is, even if they're wrong, perception is so important. Right. You have to continue to work on that. First of all, if you want me to delete your email, send me something with the word fake news in the in the subject. I will delete your email, you know, right away. Just don't want to hear it. I hate that term. But um, but from a this is Lita the reader and viewer, not Lita the reporter. I get it. I totally get it. When you see a uncut footage of something that let's just say the president does, maybe someone else does, and you watch one network and it's presented one way, and then you flip over to another network, and it's presented the polar opposite way, you're left with nothing to decide, but there is an agenda. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we as the media have to go up. Now, and I'm sorry, sorry, my friends at Fox News or CNN. We've got to be able to make an educated decision over what is what I would call media attainment or, you know, this sort of opinion-based news versus a news story and that's on us reporters too you know one of the best compliments i can get is when someone says i don't know where you stand politically (laughs) you shouldn't know where i stand politically i'm not an opinion writer right you know i want you to be guessing i don't want you to worry about where i stand politically Mm -hmm. so i think some of that's on us and I, i completely agree with people who say well it's because the media is biased there are times that the media is biased but I also think sometimes that just painting that broad picture, you make a you make a big mistake. You know, at the same time, while the, it's easy to lump the media together as some big lumpy thing, they're people, and you know, they're your neighbors and they're the people you go to church with and you go to work with, and and I just think you've got to be careful with any group just saying, huh, they're all X Y Z because it's not the truth. Yeah. No. So no. There's it's my stand for the media. It's not the yeah. truth. I'll go and and well and I'll challenge the media also in in this sense. We understand um, that newsrooms need to be diverse. They're they're often not very diverse. Um, we know yeah. that if we live in a city that is forty or even sixty uh, percent uh, African American, and where we have an all white newsroom, that's a problem because there are voices is that we just don't understand sometimes and that's not a, it's not that there's any evil intent behind it at all but it is sometimes you have to you have to force uh, that kind of diversity in your newsroom well it's the same thing on ideologies if you if you have this the a person who reports the story and writes the story and the person who assigned the story and the person who writes the headline and the person who edited edits the story um all feeling exactly the same way there are professionals and i believe they're going to do a good job and do a good story but they're going to overlook 
they're going to overlook certain voices and certain perspectives. And that's, sure. that's when you have these subtle things get into your work that can make you look like you're more biased than you're trying to be. And um, right. that's been and, a long time. At the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is. And at the same time, what, what does drive me crazy, and the reason I said that about the fake news is because let's say there's a poll that says that President Trump's approval rating is 46%. And I am literally saying President Trump's approval rating is 46% among Republicans. It's whatever. I mean, it is a straightforward, here are the numbers of this poll. I always try to identify if a poll is more right-leaning or left-leaning because there are polls that are like that. You know, here's the, here's the margin of error, straight-up story. And then you get five emails that say, you hate Trump. What? And I'm like, wait, hold on. What? You know, right. What? Did you read the story, which is my other comeback, is did you read the story? Because nine times out of ten, the answer is no. <laughs> no, it's a headline. But, yeah, you know, Yeah, I read the headline. <laughs> but, you know, I did not create the poll. It's not Lita's poll. It, it's a poll. Right. Take it for what it's worth. So let's just hope that the New York Times senior administration official hmm. is indeed a senior administration official who's not just mad because there was no coffee in the break room that day. <laughs> and, you know, that would be, that would be my concern. Um, and, and, of course, what's so funny is, is I start thinking about people that, that are from Alabama that worked for the White House that are not working for the White House. I'm like, hmm, you know, start, I'm, your mind just starts going like, who decides <laughs> to sit down? And, and did they actually call the New York Times? Like, who did you call? Is it their next-door neighbor? They happen to live in New York. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure there are, you know, closed-caption cameras somewhere around the New York Times for security reasons. I certainly hope there are for all of us' sakes. But, you know, <laughs> Did somebody have, did, did you meet them in the parking lot wearing a trench coat? You know, it's just, <laughs> well, it's Washington, the you know, of this. it's, it's Washington. Yeah, it's it's, of it's this. incestuous. I mean, Jake Tapper wrote the, the, the column that time he, he went on a date with Monica Lewinsky before all that, See, the story went over. I see? mean, these people all know each other and they, they have this how oh, yeah. inside things. And I will make one, um, uh, I guess, uh, disclaimer when we were talking about media and we use the word we we're talking about the media at large <laughs> so oh yes 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 universal we not yeah, not we as in us yeah we're, we're sort yeah. of very different from from people who directly cover washington although we we do stories yeah. there that matter to us um and we cover the state it's kind of a yeah. the more local you get the more it's not quite the same left right politics so but we still have no, those same issues no. we have to pay attention to um uh, but it's it's different at every level of, of media it, it is absolutely and like i said i've worked at i've worked at the tiniest newspapers in this state mm-hmm. and now i'm with the largest you know media organization in the state state media is very different it is very different yeah. there's still diversity in views but we deal with different challenges i think we deal with more like geographic challenges and and time challenges you know it's a different set of things now there are liberal people there are conservative people there are different you know, people. But I, I will say I get tickled sometimes when I get these things about AL.com, the liberal media, and then when you compare that to so many other places, we would be considered very conservative. So, you know, it's it's an interesting um, dynamic. But, no, that is absolutely the universal we, not we as in me and Ike. No, or anybody, <laughs> anybody we work with on a daily basis. No, 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 not the no, case. No, we, Thankfully. We, Thank you, Lord. We love everybody here. And uh, uh, in that, <laughs> well, now let's don't get crazy. 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in in that vein, we lost a a a, a guy um, this week who was you know certainly a Southern icon was Burt Reynolds. And I, I know we're still going outside the state lines, but you know what an impact on the culture. <laughs> so I'll bring that up. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I, I I have to tell you those and what I call them and a lot of other people um, use this word exploitation movies. I know Bert would be offended by that, but those early ones, you know, Deliverance and <laughs> and uh, uh, Gator and 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 White Lightning. I, man, I could watch those all the time, you know, all those that used to play on the Superstation, and and I'm a I'm a big fan of those. But um, and of course, well, smoking the band. I will say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, absolutely. That growing up, every time smoking, you know, we had three channels, so it wasn't like well PBS, but we didn't count that. But so you had three channels and. Smokey and the Bandit would come on. My dad would tell me the same story, which was that it was part of the car jump scene was filmed in Walker County, Alabama, which is where my father's from, Walker uh-huh. County. Uh-huh. And that's about as rural, <laughs> especially back then, <laughs> as you could get. And um, I always thought he made it up. Like, you know, your dad tells you stories. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. And he was right. It actually yeah. was filmed in Walker County, Alabama. And, and the other part about that, we were actually discussing this in my household today. Of When I was a kid, I loved the movie The Longest Yard. I just mm-hmm. love the movie, The Longest Yard. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, have we done a disservice not letting our child watch The Longest Yard? And then I thought, wait, I need to go back and watch this again. Because, <laughs> you know, a lot of the things that we watched, I realize now were just highly inappropriate, but we just didn't catch the meaning. Yep. And I probably need to vet that a little bit more before my 11-year-old tunes into The Longest Yard. And I don't want any remakes with Adam Sandler and all that mess. <laughs> I want the real deal, right. you know. Mean machine. That's what I want. <laughs> so yeah, it was sad, and and it's when you think he's eighty. You know, he was eighty-two, mm-hmm. and you're just like, wow. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, he was it. He and Joe Namath were, they were the sexiest thing you could find. You know? <laughs> there was no better than those two, and it's like, you know, here's another one that that we've lost. But it seemed to be a life well lived. It's certainly colorful. We'll say that. He well. Uh, do you he remember? Was... Yeah, go he ahead. Was, he wasn't a spring chicken when you're talking about necessarily. I mean, he was when he was no. top box office. He was up into his 30s and maybe even, you know, in his 40s. And so there's hope for for some. Involving. We forgot <laughs> about that. You remember the that's whole right. discussion about his toupee. That's right. Like, that was a big joke about his toupee. And I think that's why people liked him, though. He always kind of had that tongue in cheek. He could laugh at himself. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, he wasn't so serious. And I heard a great thing today about all the roles he had turned down. You know, he was offered just about every movie you could be offered. And um, but so he is. He's he's not from Alabama, but I think he certainly would have. You know, if you ran into him at the Floribama, he would have fit right in, and you never would have. You know, checked up. But Florida, we'll, you know, we'll give you Florida people a pass. You're okay. Oh well, we'll yeah, he's very. So he was actually born in Michigan, but as a child. His uh, his his dad took a job and was a uh, police chief, I think, and down in Florida. And well, you, you definitely get your get your southern roots down there. And he went to Florida State. I think he said that he had visited Miami and was going to go to Miami to play football there. But he went to Florida State, and there were uh, there were about two college women to every one college man and he just made this decision based on that of course he roomed he roomed he decided with, to go there yeah he roomed with, with Lee, Corso. Lee Corso yeah, with and, Corso. um yeah, yeah and 
and then tried to lose his accent when he went away to do movies and, and was he I've seen interviews where he was successful doing that but then the movies he got was <laughs> you can you get right, your accent yeah. back <laughs> Well and he has he had that very unique voice you know you could hear his voice and know who it was without even knowing it was him so he he was definitely and those old movies are great and like I said we're going to have to rescreen longest yard around my house and if it's appropriate we may have to fast forward through a little thing but it was funny my husband and I talking today about well do you remember when this happened and this happened and you know both of us kind of remember different parts of the movie and um but yeah it, it was Smokey and the Bandit and that that Trans Am the whole thing you know you just couldn't help but love it and oh well and can I give you a plug let me no, give please. you a plug if you if please. you don't know this on the 40th anniversary, wasn't it, of Smokey and the Bandit, Ike on AL.com did this really thing, cool thing about CB lingo. And um, my mm-hmm. father had a CD. I guess it was that Walker County connection. So I remember, like, <laughs> having a CB in his truck, and my grandfather had a CB. And um, yesterday, after Burt Reynolds passed away, that story started got picked up again, and people started reading that story, which I just thought was so fascinating that that little niche of 70s culture came back, even for yeah. just a little while, you know. It, and I had to explain, of course, to my child what a CB was. and <laughs> It's know, a that cell that phone that cool connected to your Silverado truck. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the best way to describe it. It was like a cell phone connected to your truck. And then, interestingly enough, you know, it had all those songs about CB radios and truckers and that whole, you know, Smokey oh, yeah. and the Bandit song. All that kind of stuff was just so iconic of the 70s and then on into the early 80s where he sure. was kind of the low-cut shirt with the hairy chest. So, yeah, it's sad. And, and, but he seemed to have passed away peacefully is what I've read with his family. So I guess that's a... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll give one... Good hair. <laughs> one more anecdote about Bert. When I was working for the Tallahassee Democrat, we did a special section when Bobby Bowden won his 300th career game. And... Um, we had this double two-page spread with just quotes from anyone uh, that, mm-hmm. that that we could get quotes from about Coach Bowden, and we wanted fresh quotes. So we had a couple reporters calling around all over the place. Actually, Steve Ellis, one reporter, probably uh, got most of them. And um, I, you know, he called. You know, he got Corso, of course, and all the other Schnellenberger, and all you know, all the uh, of Bowden's coaches that he faced. Of course, you called Burt Reynolds, longtime friends, and mm-hmm. Burt. Burt said that uh, he he gave us the best one, and I can't remember word for word, but he said something along the lines of, "My dad's getting older, and one day he's not going to be here, and on that day, the first person I'm going to call is Bobby Bowden." And I just thought it was oh. the sweetest thing, and and it made Burt such a real. A real person, you know, uh, who uh, has oh, yeah. feelings like it, that for people. That's a great quote. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. We were pretty proud of getting that. And Steve Ellis, the the late yeah. sports writer, got got that quote. He's uh, um, one of he was one of the one of the best reporters I've ever worked with. But um, Lita, cool. Lita, I really appreciate you uh, spending some time with me again this weekend. Thanks. I, Enjoyed I, it. We got to talk about. Anonymous sources and Burt Reynolds. <laughs> That's two of my favorite subjects of all time. <laughs> Turns out the op-ed writer was Burt Reynolds. There you go. I, I leaked <laughs> it. I just blew it out of the water. <laughs> I'm going to go w- now watch All the President's Men followed by Hooper. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. That's what I'll do this weekend, too. After the football games, let's get, it, let's get our priorities right. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, right. Mike. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. 
And don't forget, if you don't mind and you haven't already, go rate us on whatever app you use or on our Amazon page if you listen via Alexa. I'm told that helps us reach people and might keep us doing what we do a little longer. We all have a great weekend. For Lita Gore, I'm Mike Morgan. We're down in Alabama. Come see us at AL.com. <laughs>